up new buildings, we're knocking down the old. We're working in the summer heat and in the winter cold. And the labour power we sell, me boys, for a hard and weekly pay, produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain or Ireland, in England or Fiji, we all of us are workers, united we must stand, until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. We faced deregistration, it backfired in the face, we're not fooled by arbitration, we won't stay in our place. We hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our gains, and break a couple of concrete floors to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high, it's class to class and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed, and it's good morning from Creatures of the Industry and our creature this morning, Donny Rust. How are you, Donald? I'm good, Ralph. Yourself? Very, very good. And it's an absolute pleasure to have in the studio today someone who has really been around this industry for a very long time. Too long. <laughs> and now you're retired. Now I've retired, yeah. Give it away in uh, 2020. There you go. And didn't time pass quick since then? Yes. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> Righto. So we're talking to Don Rust, and Don has been in this industry, both for the BLF, uh, FEDFA, in a whole lot of different jobs, doing a whole lot of different things, and... Uh, Finished up, I think, with Multiplex. Yeah, at the end, Multiplex. I was about the third or fourth time back. They sort of didn't like me along the way sometimes, but these, these things happened. But, I, yeah, I started in um, oh, maybe 69, 70. I was with Hanson and Yunkin. Was that your first big job? Or? That was the first big job. I, I had a couple of little small jobs. Uh, I can't even remember who they were now. But um, when I say big jobs, it was up in... Uh, Melbourne Uni on the corner of Grattan Street and Swanson Street. In fact, the location of a job uh, which Keynes finished only recently for the teaching uh, for uh, faculty or whatever they call it. I was finished when I left. I don't know what they've done since then. <laughs> yeah, I know the building. It's right on the corner and yeah. they've, they've extended it all. A lot of blokes have worked at the Melbourne University yeah. over the journey. Yep. Yeah. And, of course, that's where... Uh, the eight-hour uh, campaign started too. Back in the 19th century, it was at Melbourne University, so it's been a happy hunting ground yep. for building workers. Now, when you started with Hanson and Yunkin, HMY, what was your first job? What, what did they employ you as and what sort of work did you do? On the broom, shovel, pick, just labour, just normal labour. Yeah, just doing normal labour and stuff. And I'd done that for a while, didn't mind it, but... Uh, there was one. There was one crane on the job, and back then you only had one dogman, and you used to ride the hook. And it's, they sort of had two dogmen there, but one was sometimes there, not sometimes always there. 
his name was Billy Edgar. All right. And he was an Irishman. He's a brawler. But he took a shine to me. And I started to learn to be a dogman. And after that job, Hans of the Younger said, this job's finished, the crane's coming down. If you want to go back labouring, we can send you another job in St Kilda Road, but it won't be about for, for about four or five months. So I did hung around and stayed there, and that's when I went down to St Kilda Road and kicked off from there. So in terms of the craneage that was used in those days, I wonder, was that a uh, pin jib? Was that a... Uh, no, it was a 350. Or was a th- it was actually a Favco. 350 Favco, yeah. There's only one smaller than a 350, that was a 250. 250, yeah. <laughs> the 350 was, in fact, the uh, classic Favco and uh, was used by just about everybody yeah. in, in Melbourne. Yeah. And so you started off with Hanson and Youngkin down St Kilda Road. you remember the job? Uh, Brixton House, right next to where the police station was, uh, police headquarters oh, now, yeah. Uh, yeah, Bowen Road. Lane. Oh, yeah. Um, just up from the mouse house. Oh, right, there you go. Just up from the mouse house. So you got in on St Kilda Road in what probably was the start of a yes. really big boom. Boom, yeah. And it's still booming. Yeah. Plenty of people made money out of property on St Kilda Road. Good on them. I hope you made some on the way. Honey, yes, I earned it. <laughs> now, with the, the, the craneage at the time, Favco went on to become the, the basis of uh, craneage in high-rise uh, and probably a lot of other levels of uh, job around around the country. But as you said before, you only had one dogman. When did that start changing? Uh, that started to change when I was still at the university. They started to bring in tickets, uh, DLI tickets. Yeah, mid, early to mid-70s, yeah. And that's when they started to knock... That, that's when they started to knock riding the hook on the head, so you had to have two dogmen. Yeah. When we went to St Kilda Road, we had uh, there was two cranes on the job, a 500 at the front and a 350 at the back, and we had two dogmen on each crane, and plus one bloke used to look after the two cranes on the lower level to take stuff off the landing bay, so he could talk to both cranes. Yeah. And we didn't have radios in or uh, hard line. A little speakers. Yes. And a whistle. And a whistle. And a whistle. Can't miss the whistle. And despite the fact that people probably think uh, in this day and age that uh, that's old technology and it doesn't work. It works. It works. It works. In fact, uh, Multiplex had a job where uh, the whole uh, radio system didn't work. Yeah. That's only a few years ago. And... uh, we still have to use uh, the simple basics of the whistle, the loudspeaker and hand signals. Yeah. Now, when you were introduced into tower cranes, did you do a course? Were you part of that first group that had to start doing some uh, external education or did no. they just give you the licence as they did with so many people on the basis of experience? I got me dogman's ticket without doing anything. Yeah. Oh, um, I think you had to make. I think you had to get hours up. I can't remember, Ralph. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I, think I think you had to get hours up. And then you had an assessment. Yes. Oh, actually, 
Anson and Young could put another crane up out at the yard in Notting Hill and they used to send you out. If you wanted to be a crane driver, they'd, they'd pick a time when the crane wasn't busy or at the end of the job and you'd go out there and you'd sit in a crane and just slow around and pick up a box and put it down and that's how you got hours up and that's how you learned. Yeah, learned to catch the hook and yes, the Yes, yeah. So it was only on about two or three towers, so it wasn't very high. Oh, yeah. And it was just in their yard, they could load trucks with it and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you did an assessment? Yes. Someone from the DLI, as it was in those days? Yes. Department of Labor and Industry? Yep. Uh, do you remember who did your assessment? <sighs> no, I don't. Well, there's only a few of them. Uh, I'm starting to have trouble remembering the names too. But uh, they'd come to site and uh, do the uh, assessment. And they'd also have a talk to the blokes you were working with. Yeah. That was a big part of it because they taught you and they uh, were experienced blokes. So Hanson and Yunkin was a long-term employment uh, no. thing for you or...? No, St Kilda Road was the first time of ex- first experience getting me job back because they give me the ass. But it wasn't at the end of the job. There was a blue on the job. I can't remember what it was. Heaven forbid there was a blue on the job. Uh, anyway, they sacked me, no one else, just me. And um, Gwala was actually the subby doing the form work on the job. And one of the steel fixers wouldn't go back onto the job until he gave me it. I got my job back. And his name was Nobby Clark. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go, mate. Anyway, he got Mickey Lewis down. I got my job back. And then Nobby come to me and said... Go to the union meeting and you'll earn more, mate. And I yeah. did. And, of course, the union at that stage was? Builders Labourers Federation. Builders Labourers, yep. Or, if you prefer, the Australian Building... Uh, BLF was better. <laughs> BLF was easier, <laughs> shorter. So that was your first experience and that was your first uh, meeting with Mickey Lewis too. Yep. The late yep. And great Mickey Lewis. Yep. Um, so was he the local organiser for St Kilda Road? Um, there was another one used to come down. I'm not sure if Mick was there all the time, but there was another one, Lex Gribble. Oh, the one and only. And he sometimes he used to come to the job and sometimes Mick, so I don't, I don't know how it worked. Yeah. 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 But if the boom was going, then logically there was a couple of organisers available because that yeah. would have been the centre of attention. And so in terms of let's just talk about how cranage worked in those days – you're a dogman? Yep. You're on the whistle? Yep. You're on the speaker. What else was part of your day? What time did you get there? Were you part of the warm-up? Or? Uh, we used to get the half an hour warm-up. Every morning someone had to watch the crane driver go up and that was just normal back in Enbobes. I don't know if they still do it. Um, but we didn't do the hours like they do now. We'd start at about six, seven, and four o'clock you were gone. So... You've done oh, eight and a half, nine hours a day. Do you fuel up at the start of the day or the end of the day? Uh, usually at the start, yeah. yeah. So that was all part of your uh, start-up procedure? Yeah. And how many uh, tower sections did uh, the crane driver have to climb in those days? Um, that particular job, you could walk out the brace. Yeah. Probably eight, nine towers. Yeah, not like some of the uh, ridiculous things. Uh, yeah. That necessitated the introduction of uh, lifts, etc. Yeah. But in terms of starting the day, warm-up, 
and then you had all the subbies screaming their little lungs out to get preferential treatment for their particular yep. part of uh, the job. Yes. And there was a contest. It was sort of out of our hands. Yeah. Um, but you had to put up with the bullshit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it, so just a, a typical day on, say, that St Kilda Road job or, or the Melbourne University job doesn't matter, but what would the bulk of your day have been in those You in give those um, the smoker, the form worker, would get what he wanted done. Usually after smoke-o would be, if you're, the sta- if you're at the stage of the job where they had air conditioning and, and pipe to go up, you'd do, you'd do that. And then you might stand a few column boxes up for the form worker. And then after lunch, you usually pour concrete. There was no pumps on the job. There was just cranage. So it was all kibble work. It's all kibble work, yeah. And you loved the kibble, didn't you? Uh, it was all right if you were on the ground. It landed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. But... A lot of people uh, who aren't in the industry and maybe some people who uh, are in the industry but fairly recent, uh, on a big slab, the kibble was a a lot of walking. Yep. Up and down, up and down, and uh, with the concreters going for their lives with the uh, vibrator and so on, you were directing the kibble in terms of communicating with the crane driver, but also... You were making judgments too. Yep. And how do you go with uh, the concreters and making judgments? Oh, you'd have a few arguments, but at the end of the day, really, at the end of the day, no one cared. That's the way it was, and you could yeah. tell anyone to go to the shit house or get stuffed or something like that. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter. You'd sit going to shed and have a beer. Yeah. But the pressure was on with the kibbles, especially the big kibbles, and um, not easy to. Keep the concrete happy and keep the flow of concrete um, was a bit more erratic than it is with the pumps and that nowadays. Yeah. Hence, folks, that's where the arguments used to start. But would that be the biggest part of your day in terms of actually getting you know, into the work or were there other parts of the job which also sort of made life a bit difficult? Uh, it was the first job, St Kilda Road was the first job I'd done precast. Ah, right. The side panels were clip-ons, but the I think there was 12 panels across the front, and they're windows, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, for the crane, uh, the 500 had to go in double four because we wouldn't pick them up. They were over five tonne because a 500 is only five-tonne crane. The, 750, uh, the 350 was a seven-tonne crane. So you had to put the, the 500 into double four, but once you put it into double four... Um, it cut the radius out. You weren't allowed to go over a certain radius. It didn't matter if it was only half a tonne. You weren't allowed to do what Favgo said no. Hmm. And that used to cause arguments because... They always want a foot extra? Yeah, more, yeah. But it, it could reach the it could reach the, uh, the front line of panels at the front, but if you're waiting for a, another panel to come in, they want some other lifts and that, and they'd want it down the other end of the job, and you used to say no. And they didn't like it when you said no. And the other thing uh, about a double fall is it slows the process down. Yes, half the speed. Half the speed, that's right. So just for those listening who don't quite get what we're talking about, the capacity of a tower crane is, its maximum uh, capacity is with the shortest length of jib 
and the closest proximity to the tower. Yeah. So as long as the stick is up, that's the jib, it sticks up and the load is close to the, the tower and hence the uh, machine deck of, of the crane, that's your maximum. Yeah. As you go out, as the crane uh, jib comes down, then you start losing capacity. Exactly. And so what Donnie's talking about here is a constant problem, and still is a problem, I would have thought, uh, for crane drivers because bosses always want something extra. All you've got to do is follow the radius gauge. Yep. When it says stop, you stop. If it says 10 tonne, it's 10 tonne. If it says 3 tonne, it's 3 tonne. It's not 4 tonne and it's not 11 tonne or 12 tonne. It's 10 tonne. Or what the, what the radio say, gauge says, that's it. Then you haven't got an argument because if something goes wrong, you're it. That's right. And that would have been one of the lessons you would have been uh, told all about when you became a crane operator. Yep. Because you are more responsible than the dogman. Yes. Because you're in control of the whole operation. And how did you feel about that? Because at what age would you have been at that stage? Uh, 25, 26, something like that. So, and you would have been working with blokes who had been around for a few Never. decades, probably yeah. started in the industry in the 50s, a lot yeah. of them. Yeah, a lot of them were return servicemen. Yeah. Um, a lot of the pommies were return servicemen, Navy people and stuff like that. The bloke had taught me to drive Billy Mitchell, he's dead now. He'd been with HMI, oh, back then, maybe 10, 12 years, and he used to drive, he used to drive the old stiff legs as well. Oh, yes, and then he got into the Favco and you're going from an old stiff leg to a Favco, it's going like from a Volkswagen to a Porsche. Indeed. <laughs> so a stiff leg does have some uses. Uh, in fact, I can think of a 1500 Favco was pulled down with a uh, stiff leg which would have been a fraction of its size. Uh, the, the, the stiff leg that's then were the old electric ones. The yeah. old, you stood up in it and wooden box for a cabin and... Yeah. Yes, we're, we're going down memory lane here, folks, because the craneage in the industry has changed a lot. And just to come back to this question of responsibility and doing it right with the radius, nowadays computerisation uh, means that not only are you under constant surveillance when you're operating a crane, but the manufacturer knows about it as well. Yep, exactly. They can tell you if you overlift on a mobile, they can tell you exactly when you've done it. And a tower crane too? The tower cranes, I'm not sure about that, but with the mobiles, I know they can, yeah. yeah. So the black box uh, is increasingly become part of the industry, and no bad thing, because there have been uh, some fairly serious uh, tower crane disasters over the journey. Can you remember some of those, and were you in, ever involved in any of them? No, I, not on a Favco, um I never had an issue with the Favcos, but uh, Anthony Youngkin did along the along the way. They had a five hundred at, at I think it was at Essendon, Essendon Hospital, or something like that, and they chipped the old five hundred up and spat one ram out. So, Indeed, it was Essendon District. Was it? <laughs> hospital, yeah, I thought it was. Yes. And uh, they, they just sat the it just sat the boom back onto the A frame. Yep. If I remember correctly, uh, that was the uh, wasn't the crane operator. No. It yep. was the uh, diesel mechanic who came in and uh, put a bit of wire on the uh, lever because uh, he wanted the uh, 
the jib to go up and he didn't want to be in the cabin to do it. He wanted to watch it, so he put a bit of wire through and, oh dear, back she went. It went backwards, yes. There was a, um, yeah, a bit of a hoo-ha about it. But no one got hurt. That's, no. that's the main thing. No. And over the, over the years in the industry, high-rise in particular, but can you uh, think of any other cronage disasters which um, in fact have stayed in your mind as issues in the industry and perhaps whether they've ever been resolved? Probably the best thing they'd done was getting rid of the cadet when they climbed. Um, that was just downright dangerous. They'd pull you out of the tower if you're putting one in or taking it out. That's what killed Alan Harris in St Kilda Road. Right, so you just explain that to people because they wouldn't necessarily grasp the issue straight up. Um, now on the climber frame they have the rams on the side yep. and they push down on the tower on the side of the uh, it sits on the it sits on the tower by about an inch and a half, the flipper, and uh, but with the cathead, the climbing rams are at the back, so that you had to put this other section in uh, underneath where you wanted to climb from, bolt the front of it down, and then push down on the rams and the crane to go up and to do the next tower. You just take it out and do the next one and so forth. But getting it in and out of the tower was just a pain in the ass. That's the best thing they ever done when they changed the way they climbed them. Now, we'll come back to that in a second because that's probably going to be mumbo-jumbo to some of the listeners, but when did you first start jumping the cranes you were working on? In St Kilda Road for Hanson. Oh, straight up? Yeah. And in those days, I'll stand correction, but I would have thought that most builders had their own cranes and their crane crews jumped the crane. Yes, there might have been a diesel mechanic come in from outside. Probably some of them had their own, but nowadays most of the uh, cronage work is done, seems to me, to be done by outside subcontractors. Yeah. When do you reckon that started in the industry? Probably when uh, Project High started, I would say, around about then. That was sort of an offshoot of EA Watts. Yeah, probably the most successful part of EA Watts. But... <laughs> um. EA Watts used to do their own cranes, but Project Tyre had about 20 or 30 cranes and they'd put them up for whoever wanted a crane and then they got a, a group of blokes going and I, I was with them for a long time and um, you'd go and climb them or wreck them and pull them down and climb them and whatever they wanted to do. And that was bloody hard work, still is. Yeah, it was, it was a good job as long as you had the same people. If you had to use just anyone, just to make up the numbers, it was no good. It was dangerous, but if you used the same people all the time, he knew what you were going to do and you knew what he was going to do. It was, it was good. Well, in fact, this has probably been a theme on this podcast over several series now, how people actually learn their jobs and being part of a gang where everyone works together, almost instinctively knows what the other one's going to do and... People don't need to talk too much because they actually understand each other and they understand the process and they work very well together. Yeah. And that would have been your experience too growing up in the industry? Yeah. Now, just getting back to jumping a crane, for those people who have just heard you describe what happens, uh, maybe the best way would be to suggest the tower, which the crane sits on, is in two parts. 
the actual tower, which is all bolted together, and what you just called the climbing frame, which is a, another tower section, which is over the top of the tower. And that is, as you said, jacked up with rams, and a new section is there's a gap in that uh, climbing frame, and a tower section is brought in by the crane itself, and then that is pulled in on uh, a trolley. Monorail, yeah. A monorail trolley, and then that is bolted down, and then the process continues. And that's, that's how right. yep. it gets up. It's a self-climbing crane. Yep. How high did you climb a crane? Um, what was the biggest, the tallest crane you ever worked on? Probably down Loyang. Yeah. Um, with a little 250 down there. That was up the top of the lift shaft. That was about, I'd say back then, it was probably around about 300 foot. was pretty high. So the chimney was higher. The chimney was higher. The, the chimney actually had 98 towers in it, which is 900 foot, 980 foot, because they were 10 foot a tower. And every one of those, except for the initial uh, start of the tower when the, before the uh, actual pr- process of self-climbing starts, every one of those sections would have been done as we just described. One, one at a time. One at a time. Yeah. And you bolt it down using a compressor-powered bloody... Uh, impact gun. Impact gun, and they're big and they're bloody heavy and they're noisy. Yep. So imagine doing maybe 90 of those... Not all at once, obviously, but well, you said you'd probably do five or six because then you do a tie or you do a tie and then climb it and then you'd wait for the building to catch up and then the, the building would catch up with the deck of the crane. So you put another tie on it and then you climb the crane again so you're always away from the, the deck. Yeah. Hard job. That was a good job. Good job but yeah. hard job. Yeah. A lot of bikes uh, like the hours but... Uh... A lot of bikes like the money. I was being nice about it, yeah. <laughs> Money's that everything, way. but uh... they want the money, but they don't want to do the job. <laughs> I'll say it as it is, rough. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. So we'll we'll cut out the diplomacy. Uh, a lot of jobs were over the years. I'm not going to be <clears throat> unduly critical, but there was a lot of risk taken. Yeah, and as you said before, and I hardly agree. If you worked in a gang, that minimised the risk. A gang where everyone had a role, everyone knew what the other one was thinking, and it worked. But there are a lot of cowboys out there too. Yeah. Do you have much experience of having to work with cowboys or clean up the mess after cowboys? Uh, no, I was lucky. I was lucky like that. I did work with some dickheads, but they didn't last. You know, you'd, just say, you'd say to your boss or your foreman, he's... You can have him on the ground or something like that. You wouldn't say sack him because you didn't do that. Mm. But see, you'd say, no, you can have him, I'll do it myself or something like that, and you get the message. Yeah, because those who are into the hire and uh, provision of tower cranes and getting them up and getting them down needed to do it fairly efficiently. Well, someone's paying, so that's how they look at it. That's exactly right. It's all about money. Yeah. Now, you went to... Project Hire, after how many years working with Hanson and Yunkin? Uh, after Hanson and Yunkin, the job finished there. That lasted about, this is how much has changed. St Kilda Road was about 20 floors, and I got two years out of it. Now they do 20 floors in 20 weeks. <laughs> True. True. 
Unfortunately, uh, folks, that is very true. Yeah, after after that, HMI didn't have anything, but they said Leighton's are looking for a bloke at Puckapunyal to drive a crane. Do you want to go up there? I said, yeah, I'll do it because I didn't have a job to go to and HMI had nothing in the pipeline. So I went up to um, Puckapunyal for Leighton's. That was an experience. <laughs> What, Puckapunyal or working for Leighton's? Working for Leighton's. Oh, welcome to the club. <laughs> working for Leighton's. The foreman on the job, Ivan Taylor, his name was, Buffett. He yes. used to go out of his way to have an argument with you. And I would, silly me, would accommodate him every day. And I met him on the job later on and we finished up pretty good mates. Yeah. Pretty good mates. Yes, Ivan could have an argument and he was... Did you know him? Yeah, he was at Therry Street at one stage. He was at Therry Street, yes. Indeed he was. Anyway, that's different memory lane. So you're, you're working around. This is, at that time in the 70s, Yeah. this is normal experience for builders' labourers. Yes. You go where the work is and sometimes you've got to travel or live away from home or whatever. And would this be your first out-of-town job? Uh, yeah, it was. Um it was around about the time of the first lockout, if yeah. I remember rightly. Yes. Because the lockout was only in metropolitan area. Yes. And we we could we could work up there at Puckapunyal. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, well I was locked out at uh, Southeastern Purification Plant. I would have thought that was outside Melbourne in those days, but no such luck. Yeah, well <laughs> uh, we kept we kept working, um yeah. After that, Ivan Taylor at the end of the job, as I said, we finished up pretty good mates and I just had a, I'd had enough one day. I was not blueing at home but I was, I was up there for 12 months and I used to come home. I used to go up Monday morning, drive up in the morning, drive home Wednesday night and come back Thursday and, go, and then go home Friday. There was no Saturday work up there. And um, I'd, had a, I'd had enough of it, my missus had enough of it, and I just walked in one day and I said to Ivan, I said, oh, I'm finishing. He said, when? I said, now, because you only had to give an hour's notice then. Yes. He said... And they only had to give you an hour's notice. Exactly. Then. And he said, the last thing I wanted to do was fucking sack you, and he missed out. <laughs> oh, well. I said, well, you, you missed out that time, mate, but next time I, I, I seen him at Therry Street, actually. Um, I was with Project Higher then, and we put the stiff leg up there. And Mick Kennedy was there. Mick Kennedy and Jose, Jose. Alcantara. Yeah. Captain Mumbo. Yeah. There was a few. Cody, there was, there was a few there. And, in fact, uh, Mick Kennedy gave me a uh, picture recently, a photo of uh, me adjacent to the stiff leg, let's say, <laughs> when we were at the retired members' lunch oh, recently. yeah. yeah. And, uh, yes, indeed, it was a very small stiff leg compared to the 1500 Favco. Yeah. So project hire came how quickly after Leighton's? After Leighton's, I worked for Solza at uh, La Trobe University. That was only the one job there. It was a one-crane job. Little, well, it was all the same. La Trobe is all about four or five floors. There's nothing yeah. higher there. It's all the same. When that finished... Um, I kept hounding Project High and I, I finished up getting a start there. And I was, I was there probably maybe five, six years, first time. Yep. So who was the boss at Project High then? Uncle Doug. 
The one and only Dougie Williams. Yeah. Right, so we're now left the uh, tender embrace of working for builders, uh, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is my memory the normal way people worked on cranes in the industry. Yeah. You worked for the builder. Yeah. You worked for the sub. You worked for the form worker. You worked for the builder. Most of the builders then employed everyone. The form workers, the plumbers, uh, just about everyone. Except Grocon. Except, <laughs> except Grocon, yeah. We'll come back to Grocon because yeah. that's, another, that's another aspect to what's happened in the industry over the years. So finally got to start with Project Hire. Yeah. Was that a shock to the system because working on a site on a particular crane from start to finish – is one experience, but work of a project hire, going out to numerous jobs, all hours of the day and night, days of the week, all the rest of it. How'd you find that? It wasn't a shock. Like I said, I liked the work. Yeah, I enjoyed the work, um, but it does open your eyes to what goes on on jobs, like how different builders run their job, and like some builders are good and some builders are pretty crap. And you could tell the crap ones from the good ones pretty easy as soon as you walked in the door, mate. If you hadn't already heard about it on yes. the grapevine. Yes, yeah. So what was a normal day for you working for Project Hire? Um, back then they had the World Trade Centre in the city. Oh, yes. yeah, what? There was about six cranes on, seven cranes on that. They sort of had two, two crews going and they used to do a lot of work at Loying Power Station. And they used to look down there, they used to look after ICAL, John Holland. Uh, oh, I can't remember now. Going back a long time. So if you weren't at the the, the, the trade centre, you were down the valley. Yeah. And uh, Ronnie Condon used to sort of look after the cranes up here. Yep. And Peter Rowan used to look after the ones down the valley. There's a couple of names from the, the past. Yep. Now, uh, your day, were you going on the job doing work on the cranes, jumping the cranes, whatever, or were you also doing time on the whistle as a part of, the, of a crane crew for a particular crane? Top up? Uh, you do a bit of both. Yeah. Do a bit of both. Mostly cranes or if they had a little bit of steel to put up or something like that, you'd go and do that. But mostly you, when you went to the job, the crane crew was already there. So you didn't upset someone and try and say, oh, we're going to go on the crane today and you this off sort of thing, you yeah. didn't do that. They, they use you as top-up? No, no. It was usually you do the, the crane and if they had some other work to do, that you do that yourself by in in another capacity. You know? But it was usually just crane erection, dis, uh, climb and dismantle. Yeah. That's what, mostly what we've done with Project Hire, yeah. And what were the main days for that? Was a lot of weekend work or was it mainly Monday to Friday? Oh, it started to creep out. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd say you could have the crane at 2 o'clock and then they'd get the crane at 3 o'clock and then you'd still be waiting at 4 o'clock and it'd be winter's night and it'd be freezing cold. and Pissing they'd, down, right? And they'd still want to do it, you know. And if you, told them, if, you said, if you said no, you're the biggest prick in the world and if you went out and done it mm-hmm. and you got wet or something, like you're fucking asshole again. So... Correct. You know what I mean? Because this is one of the aspects of construction 
in this town is who controls the crane controls the job. Yeah. And because there's so much money tied up, the boss has to control the crane. And maybe this is perhaps why, given the risk that subbies face in that, especially the form workers, they have progressively got control of the cranes. Yeah. To the point where the builder is begging the subby for the use of the crane. Yeah. When did that start creeping in? Um, I can't remember the year, but... Uh, no, once, but... Once, once... 70s, 80s. I would say this. I'd say with the eighties. Yeah. Say the eighties, um, early eighties. I'd not push it out a little bit. Multiplex. I'll go. I'll jump a bit here. Once, once multiplex, give the cranes to form seven hundred. You might as well say see you later. It was a waste. Of just nothing went. If it didn't matter if uh, form seven hundred had nothing for the crane to do, they wouldn't do a lift for someone else. Which bull, which was bullshit. And then they inspect the crane crew to stay back after five thirty and do the other lifts, which you, when you could have done it during the day. And we used to argue about that, and I used to get the fucking shits with it. And that's why part of the reason I got the ass four times. And uh, let's just go back to the first time you got the ass. The first time. What was the, when when was the first time? In St Kilda Road. Yep. And the first time with multiplex, um, or after mul- oh, there was another one before that was at that Lewis's job at the Mint at Craigieburn. Oh, the one and only. Yes, indeed, um, a job to remember. Yeah, that was uh, it was about seventy five, I think. That we had a win <laughs> grand final. <laughs> For those who are trying to pick up what we're talking about. We're talking about AFL, we're talking about North Melbourne and Donnie and I are both North Melbourne supporters. Yeah. <laughs> and let's just be 100% accurate. We've got to remember 75 and 77 and uh, 86 and uh, – sorry, 96 and uh, – 99. 99 because on the weekend we got flogged by bloody Hawthorne and it wasn't a very enjoyable no, experience. it was pretty crap. I went home halfway through the finals quarter but never mind – now, up at the Mint, uh, that was a funny job. We had some characters up there. Uh, I can't remember all the blue and about, but it wasn't just me. Uh, we got the ass three times in the one day. <laughs> three times in the one day and five times in the one week. But, well, we, still, but we still stayed there and finished the job. So we, we got kept on. So who, were you, who were you working for and who was the boss of the job? I was working for Lewis's. Yeah. And uh, boss of the job was Truthful George. Ah. George. George Ward. Yeah. Yeah. Very honest man. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're on the crane crew up there. It was a uh, federal government job. Yeah. So there was some extra rules and responsibilities, shall we say, because it was a Commonwealth government job and Commonwealth territory, in fact. So there's a whole lot of issues that go with that, but let's forget about them. Lewis's, a traditional company, been around for a very long time and in the end uh, got bought out by other people, Yeah, uh, a German company called Walters, if I remember correctly, and uh, it still made money. The rest of the, the company in Europe went down the 
the shoot and uh, yeah. ended up selling uh, Lewis's to, who was it now? I can't remember. Uh, oh, I can't remember. I thought Lewis's just folded up. Uh, Came Concrete Constructions. And Conc- there was Concrete Constructions in the they, state, wasn't it? Yeah, and then they then they became Walters. Yeah, that's right. Yes, and then Walters was shut up. Now, what the sort of issues we're going around the world a little bit, but I'll try and bring it all back together. What were the sort of issues you were facing at at the mint? Off the top of my head, Ralph, I can't remember. Um, it's a long time ago, but it was just normal. Um, Issues that you have on a job. There's nothing right. special or... There's nothing about the cranes as such? No. 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 Lewis has maintained their cranes pretty good. Yep. I'll, I'll give them that. They yeah. did. They had a big yard up in... Uh, Newlands Road. Newlands Road, Coburg. Yep. yep. And uh, who was the man in charge? Bob Stockton. Bobby. The one and only. Yeah. And... Still going. He's still going. Cheerio to Bobby. Yeah. So... Let's divert a little bit away from cranage because I'm interested in talking about the industry and what it was like, how it's changed, so that people, when they look out at all this skyline around Melbourne and its suburbs and how much it's changed over, in my mind, the last 50 years, other things were going on at the same time. And that was very much about the union and unionism in uh, the building and construction industry in Melbourne. Now, you joined the Builders Labourers Federation early on, probably way way back when you when you started uh, with Anson and Yunkin. Yep. Now, the seventies were a fairly uh, turbulent time. There was deregistration. There was lockouts. There was all sorts of wins and losses over the journey. How do you remember the 70s and then we'll come to the 80s? Blueing on jobs. Now, um, I reckon I walked up and down Collins Street as many times as I walked at the Flinders Street Station to go home because there would be <laughs> compensation marches, um, long service marches, all that. But everyone got, everyone got involved in it. There was no one split and it was good. If there was going to be a march, there was no argument. Everyone just went. And um, you'd never go back after the, after the march, never. I was taught from a very, very young age, you only go to work once a day. Once you leave the gate, you don't go back in until the next day. Uh, there was them marches. Um, but you always front up because that way you get your travel. Yeah, so you always <laughs> went in. You always went in, but you might stop it. Yeah, yeah. Smoker or something, or yeah, eight yeah, o'clock or nine right. o'clock that's or something right. like that. On a serious note, that's exactly right. Yeah. You'd have a meeting and off you'd go. Yeah. Now, Collins Street, Burke Street, there wasn't too many streets in Melbourne that uh, building workers didn't march down. Uh, everything, as you say, from long service leave to the sacking of the Whitlam government yep. in 1975. I remember walking off a job in uh, Crib Point, I think it was. Hastings, no, Hastings. Hastings. Yeah, Hastings and coming up for the rally and, like you say, you don't go back. No. In fact, I don't think we went back the following day, but never mind. Um, what do you think were the wins and losses in that time? Because you did mention one, which was a win, but there were some others, I reckon, where maybe the bosses got a few back on us. 
Compa was a good win. Yep. Um, long service leave. Long service was a good win. You'll have to help me here, Well, Well, the Victorian Building Industry Agreement broke down in the late 70s and it took some years before the master builders, uh, etc., finally worked out that the VBIA, which set uh, standards, including site allowance, uh, was actually a good way to go. Yeah. And they actually begged for it to come back. Uh, but it wasn't a simple process of the glorious BLF uh, winning everything. It was, as you quite rightly said, uh, the building industry group of unions and everyone having a go together. Yeah. And I reckon my memory of a lot of the jobs was there were arguments in the trades between who covered what work. There's always arguments uh, among the trade unions. Um, but builders, labourers were also uh, pretty quick to grab any, shall we call it, skilled or semi-skilled work. Yeah. And the industry was changing at that time. Do you remember, looking back now, some of the changes that you experienced on site as oh, they the work to, changed? and They tried to grab, grab the scissor lifts, but you know, hindsight now, you could tell that was never going to be just one bloke in the scissor lift taking someone else up. But back then, there was an issue. Yeah. It was the AI of the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well... There's a lot of technological change taking place in the in the 70s and it really came to fruition in the 80s, but there was a lot of change going on. How did you experience that change? Um, I'm thinking about changes in the way form work was done, etc. Uh, well, form was always stick work, yeah. like piece by piece, and they put some frames down, some, they put six before's on top and then floor centres and... Start on that, and then they lay plywood down. Uh, but then that changed, and they used started to use tables, yeah. and uh, they could do a flooring. You know, to take them, say three or four days to deck out a, a deck, the old conventional way, and tables you could do it in four hours. Yeah. So it just got quicker, and the the outside shutters, a lot of them were supposed to be self climbing, but <laughs> they don't do that for some reason. It takes too long. I don't know. Um, and Schmidt promised the world, but he didn't always deliver. No. A couple other mobs the same, mate. Yeah. Well, that did create more work for the cranes, though. Yes. And do you reckon, this is just me trying to think back and see if my experience aligns with yours, the pressure on the crane crews and the hours and the, oh, let's, let's just say that the complexity of the project actually increased. Even though some parts of it uh, speeded up, it got a whole lot more complex and a lot more difficult and a lot more hours. You'd put more hours in. You could put 11, 12 hours in, but it still wouldn't be enough. And um, some... And then Saturdays became full days and Sundays became part of the agenda. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if they had a, if they had to run the cranes a bit better than what they did, instead of just letting the builder do everything or the subby doing it, if they had one or two people, just say one bloke from the union and one bloke from the management, sit down and do a plan what we're going to do today, and 
instead of just giving the crane to the full worker, you've got it all day and we'll do the other stuff after six o'clock. Well, it's bullshit. The blokes want to go home too. You know, they'll be there at eight o'clock in the night time doing lips that they could have done during the day. Doesn't exactly make for family life, does it? No. And it doesn't make the blokes happy. They're all grumpy and it's normal. It's, it's, the, it's working. You're there at five, half, five o'clock or half past five in the morning. You're still there at eight o'clock on that and then you've got to go home and then you've got to come back again. It's, it's not a good life. It's bullshit. Now, this is me being a bit provocative perhaps. Do you think this development in the industry, which was, again, all about money, may have also led to a feature of the industry increasingly in the 70s and certainly in the 80s where there's a lot of stoppages. Prior to, prior to 83, we really... It was 82, 83, can't quite remember, but we finally got RDOs, 38-hour week, and we had a day off a month. The number of 24s and stoppages, there's a lot of... Oh, yeah, what does... A lot of wildcatting going on too. Yeah. Um, Do you think they they were connected? If you hadn't hadn't done it, done it, you wouldn't have got the 36-hour week. You wouldn't have got the 38-hour week first. Yeah. The same as picnic day, we used to take it. Didn't get paid, didn't worry about it, just took it. Yeah. There was plenty of work in, in some senses, but there was too much work in other senses. I just think there was a lot of blokes who would get to the point where they've worked all these hours and some little thing had happened and people just go, stuff this. We're on our way to happiness, we're going home. Yeah, someone ring up and bomb on the job. Yeah. Yeah. Now... Probably some people overplayed their hand a little bit, but I'm just trying to think now, in terms of the industry, this is the sort of thing that people talked about in the media, in Parliament and all the rest of it, but it's actually a reflection of the fact that people just get fed up with being treated like shit. Exactly. It can only take so much. And Project Hire, I would have thought, of going around the world to come back to the point, Project Hire would have been under incredible pressure to service uh, the people they are supplying cranes with. Um, yeah. Is that your experience? Yeah. How'd Dougie go with that? Uh, Doug was Doug. <laughs> Doug was Doug. He go a bit red, but he was all right. There's, and the other thing that probably was a big change was Grollo. Yep. Well, they did change the world in many ways. What, what do you reckon was the most significant change that followed the development of Grollo? So Bruno and Reno inherited the business from their their father. Yeah. Um, Daniel managed to stuff it all up. So from gumboots to gumboots in about three generations, but never mind. What do you reckon the biggest change that followed? Uh, I would have come at the Rialto, I would yeah. say. Um I think, I think that was the first major big job I seen a concrete pump on. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been done all with cranes. But they had a, a pump on each tower, and um, I didn't know if it was going to work. It, it worked, but I didn't know if it was ever going to pump the concrete up there. Yeah, I was an expert on pumps or nothing like yeah. that. But um, they they seemed to manage their jobs all right, and they could get the work done. Where some of the other builders were just Hopeless, you know. Why well, they went out of business. Yeah. Well, name it. You can name hundreds of them. 
all the way back to Mainline and people like that through to EA Watts. I mean, it wasn't too many that yeah. survived. Dilling amps. Oh, yes. I'd forgotten about those <laughs> temporarily. Yeah. But there was a, a lot of change took place through the development of the, the Grollo Empire. They even went to the extent of uh, building their own batching plant for their uh, concrete. Yep. And supplying it to their jobs. Yep. That certainly uh, threw a few uh, cats among the pigeons. Mm-hmm. Now, they also had their own cranes. Yep. Now, they, as I remember it, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they basically looked after, they owned the crane, they manned the crane, they jumped the crane, they, they dismantled the crane. They, it was totally them. Yep. Do you have any time with that process or were you sitting watching from uh, I worked for the job Gro- next door? I worked for Grollo in the uh, late 90s, I would say. Might have been in the, even in the 2000s. I can't remember actually. Um, I was with them for about four years, five years. The bloke running the job, their yard then was um, Bruno Morrisonotti. I can't remember which year it was, but they looked after everything themselves. All their their crane crews could climb the crane, drive the crane and dog the crane. And they'd send out a fitter and a couple of riggers to to help them. And they employed those people direct themselves. Yes. Yes. Yep. Totally self-contained. Yep. But originally they were form workers doing much the same because they were really one of the first uh, of the form workers to own their own cranes. Yeah. Uh, Form 700 and them came a little bit later. So before we go to a little break, uh, just uh, come back to Grocon in due course, but this was the early 80s and this was, I I guess, with the Rialto, a huge change in the whole direction of high-rise in Melbourne. Yeah. And that was part one of... Our interview with Don Rust and part two will be in two weeks' time. We're putting up new buildings. We're knocking you have been listening to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews about the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Greece and Spain or Ireland and England or Fiji. We all of us are workers united, we must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. We faced deregistration, it backfired in the face. We're not fooled by arbitration. We won't stay in our place. We hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our gains and break a couple of concrete pours to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. Our builders' labour is a name to make a man feel proud.